many phone numbers do I have to have for this guy? Nice to answer the phone. <laughs> no wonder we didn't get him last time. Christ. I had a chair like <laughs> half a hoagie hanging out of the corner of his mouth. <laughs> Jesus. For the love of Christ, answer the phone. Was this a number he gave you? <sighs> no, I f- this was on the white pages. Oh. Yeah, and his wife's name is Catherine, and I click on her name, and it gives me the same phone number. Ah. But, apparently, they're not answering the phone. They don't have voicemail. They learned their lesson after last episode. (laughs) What the hell? Should we just leave the the phone ringing all through the show? (laughs) It's happening. of calling up Hesh in the middle of the night and just, <laughs> just let, let it, it ring. Just let it ring off the hook. <laughs> that would be a definite two true freaks gimmick. Ah, damn it all. I wish I could put it on a different track so I could just have it like <laughs> fading <laughs> up and down through the whole show. Or maybe we could record like 20 minutes of the show with the phone ringing and after a while just go, Jesus Christ. Oh, uh, never mind. Did it fail? Yeah, it just. That was it. Gave up the ghost. God damn it. Enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I. Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? 
we violate the treaty, Captain? Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? Humans make illogical decisions. Distract sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found Mr. Spock. I'm talking to Mr. Spock. You understand? Starfleet, do you read? This is the Enterprise. We are under attack. Fireman Scott. Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 68. It's the original series episode of the month. I am Chris Honeywell. Do you like Star Trek Monthly Monday? If you don't, I'm going to make you go away too. (laughs) And also here, our darling, Scott Gardner. (laughs) This is the first Star Trek Monthly Monday of 2015. Can you believe that? 2015 and you know we tried so hard again to, to, yes we tried to do it up right for you people because we love you but it just didn't work out we tried to get uncle randy but again oh man the fates are conspiring or something to just or yeah tnt or something <laughs> Apparently his phone's been turned off, the number's been changed or something, conveniently just before we have to call him up. Yep. I don't know if we should take that as a hint. I was just going to say, I can take a hint, you know? <laughs> Alright, fine. But, yeah. We're, but Well, before I guess before we get into the episode, um, do you got any uh, Star Trek swag or Star Trek news that, that you wanted to share? Hmm. Hmm. Do I? That you wanted to sunny and share? Hmm. <laughs> you know, I I can't think of a thing. Nothing. Am I forgetting something? No, no. I'm just saying. Um, because if you don't, I got tons of Star Trek. Stuff. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, because off the top of my head, I can't. Uh, I can't think of anything new in the world of of Star Trek. I have been on a Star Trek roll. And I guess I'll do the big one last. I've gotten a whole series of eBay books on the cheap from late night searches for Star Trek books. All of these are little paperbacks. I've got um, The Making of Star Trek by Stephen Ooh. E. Whitfield and Gene Roddenberry. It says, the book on how to write for TV. And not really. <laughs> just, a, just it's a good general history. It's a good, it's like a Roddenberry history, so it's kind of whitewashed and you know a little generic. 
Right. But it's it's interesting reading, and it was written, I think, around in somewhere in the second season, or maybe between the second and third season. So I got that. I got Star Trek Lives, personal notes and ad- anecdotes by Jacqueline Lichtenberg, Sandra Marshak, and Joan Winston. And it's like fan club type writing, you know? Right. Star Trek fans writing. It reminds, it looks like it's going to be like one of those best of Trek books, which I love those books. They're like the early version of podcasts because they're just people talking Star Trek. And I have completed my novelization collection of original Trek movies with The Wrath of Khan by Vonda McIntyre. So I finally have a copy of that. So now I have all the Star Trek movies and Generations novelizations. Sweet. And here's something I didn't even know existed. Star Trek II, Plot Your Own Adventure Stories, Distress Call by William Rotzler. (laughs) You are in command of your favorite Star Trek II characters. So it has nothing to do with Star Trek II, really, story-wise. And it has some really, like... Whitman like art <laughs> not even gold key we're talking Whitman original I don't know if I've ever seen that or not I never have either but I got it for like a couple bucks from free shipping so what the hell <laughs> then on uh, Christmas day I was uh, commissioned to cook dinner for uh, my roommate and her friend Denise who felt that she had to give me you know since it was Christmas she had to get a Give me a present. And uh-huh. she's, here we go. She's a divorce lady. Oh, here we a, go. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hair Metal Hero's already got his pants <laughs> off and folded <laughs> up beside him uh, by his chair, and he's like, go on. So she, I, she went up into her attic and looked for something for me. <laughs> and came, Is that a euphemism? Came back with a box set complete, limited edition, a complete limited edition of 250,000 Star Trek pegs or pegs pez dispensers of the original crew and an enterprise so there's eight of them with the seven seven dwarves and uh <laughs> and an enterprise pez which is weird the enterprise is like embedded in space so you only see the saucer section you know like the the um um, tips of the nacelles sitting out, and then like, you know, the very front of the ship, and the rest now, of it. Did she like, get to see the tips of the nacelles? If you know what I'm saying. Oh, I'm a gentleman. No. <laughs> <laughs> if she did, it wouldn't be on Star Trek Monthly Monday. <laughs> it would be on Two True Freaks After Dark. <laughs> now to top it off. This is why Chris Honeywell is broke right now. <laughs> I bought, and this is a big buy for me. I don't spend like $35 on a book very often, if ever. But I did a little math, and in order to complete my collection, it would have cost me more. So I got the Star Trek, the John Byrne collection. Jai Gundis IDW. All of the John Byrne IDW work. So we've got Alien Spotlight Romulans, Assignment Earth, Romulans Balance of Terror, Romulans A Hollow Crown, Crew, Romulans Schism, and Leonard McCoy, Frontier Doctor. Damn, all in one book? All in one gigundus. 
like five pound, five hundred page full color glossy book. Wow. Now is that a hardcover or yeah. softcover? Hardcover. Hardcover, baby. Wow. What'd you pay for that if you don't mind? Thirty-five dollarinis. Damn, that is not bad. The cover price is fifty bucks, forty-nine ninety-nine. So, and that was with free shipping. You got that through eBay? I got it on eBay. Yeah. Wow. And uh, man, that's. I mean, even cover. at full price, I would think that that's a steal because those individual issues were what. Between three and four bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. I started looking up. There are a lot of people selling them. At, they, they're they're not going for a lot of money. Um, especially if you find them, and a lot of people were selling. You know, the whole run of each of them. But I mean, just one. It would have cost you about sixty five bucks to have yeah. got the whole all the filled it because I've got all of Leonard McCoy and crew, right? And, mo- and like half of the Romulans ones. So just to fill in the rest would have would have cost me way more than this book. And it's used, but it's in its, you know, spanky new condition, you know. They must have just stuck it on their shelf and then decided to get rid of it. So here's here's my proposal. Now I, that that's why I spent that. money is I'm like this can be used for the show. This is exactly awesome. that's what I want to start doing. I mean I don't get me wrong. I do eventually want to get back to the DC stuff and, and pick it up where um, where Peter David comes along. But I'm thinking for the foreseeable future we could take a little detour into IDW land and cover the burn stuff what do you what do you think i'm all into it because this stuff is i mean also i wouldn't have spent this money on it if so far everything i've read of his star trek work hasn't been you know top of the line Mm -hmm. as far as like it's like some of the best star trek comics ever made yep they it's it's just so Wonderful, and it's weird that they're just sort of off to the side. You know, there's not a lot of attention being paid to them, which and, is a damn shame. Which is so it's weird. Some of the best Star Trek that's come out in a long time. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's it's pure Star Trek. The stories, like the Leonard McCoy Frontier Doctor ones, don't play out like episodes of the TV show or anything like that. They're just they're just basically incidents in his life. You know. Right. And but the way they play out and the way he solves a problem or just the way something plays out is very Star Trek. You know, it isn't like Leonard McCoy's stuck on a planet and monsters are attacking him. You know, it's it's, right. it's usually it was usually something like kind of amusing, you know, or or it was almost like, um, oh, what was that show? It was on PBS when we were kids. All creatures great and small. Right, it's in space, sort of, uh, and but the, the crew. Now, crew is the one that was basically number one, right? Right, the yeah. One stories; those were amazing. Mm-hmm. I can't re- wait to read the assignment Earth ones. Um, yeah, that that's one of the few in there I have not read. I think I've read everything. Well, I take that back. I I, I think I've read everything except. Assignment Earth, and I have the complete mini of of Leonard McCoy, but that was right around the time that I moved here. And I think I got them and just kind of put them in a box, and I I think I read like the first one, maybe two, but I don't think I've read all, what is it, four issues on that one? 
I don't think I've read all four of them. I could be wrong, but I, I don't think I ever did get around to reading all of them. And and that wasn't out of any like, you know, not wanting to read them. It was just you know things going on at the time, and they they wound up in a box and just never got read. Oh, they're great. But everything else that uh, that I've read of his, you know, where where he's touched Star Trek, I've loved it. You know, really loved, it. especially his Romulan stuff. Because the thing that I found really intriguing with uh, Burns' Trek stuff is that he uh, he understands classic Trek. He really knows the the history and uh, the details and the minutia and everything. But he incorporates everything, so it never feels slavish. It never feels like a like a fan wank. It just feels very organic. And a well, lot of it fills in, feel- he just sort of fills in blanks. And right. there's obviously like with some of these uh, and the, and a lot of the Romulans we see are Romulans we've seen in the show. Right. But we're seeing them, at least in the ones I've read, I've only got, I, I don't think I've got a full run of any of the Romulans ones. I would just pick them up as I'd see them in the comic store. Well, you do now with that book. I do now. Yeah. Um, but, um. You know, a lot of them have nothing to do with the characters from the Enterprise. They're they're right. in, intrigue stories, political intrigue stories, and power plays. And uh, it's great how he puts the characters into motion and sets up stuff for you know future. You know, when we see the characters later on, you know, because we're uh, I mean, a couple of them were recurring characters in the TV show, mm-hmm. recurring insofar as they showed up more than once, you know, right. not like Q or something, but Harry Mudd, I think, was the only real, like, <sighs> but yeah, he, and they play out in a very Trek-like manner, and uh, they're not always sort of a um, boilerplate story that you would expect from almost any kind of story sometimes. Right. Sometimes they play more out like real life where things just happen. Not as much in the Romulans ones and like the crew ones and and stuff like that. The Romulan ones I was really I was impressed with because he managed to make political intrigue actually intriguing. Yeah. You know? it, it was fun. Cuz it's well, it's space political intrigue. There's, you know. Right. It's not all it's not all politics and talking. There's there's space weaponry and space poisons and and fun things like that and hot romulan women he likes drawing hot romulan women you know i take it back i i did have one little bit of uh of star trek news did you read star trek planet of the apes the primate directive number one that no i haven't been to the comic shop yet but i plan on picking it up i'm kind of excited about it but those sort of things it's like the the star trek zombie one Mm-hmm. They're good, but they're fluffy, you know. They're and like what I noticed is everybody online that's been reading it is like it was good. It's a fast read. <laughs> it is. It was really fast, and uh, I'm hoping it's going to be satisfactory. You know that I'll that I'll walk away going, "Hey, that was fun." That that I'll feel satisfied because, man, it's four bucks a whack on yeah. the issues, and it was a mighty fast read. And the thing that was a little bit. Um, frustrating with it was that it was all the enterprise except for the opener which involves uh, 
it's basically the apes being supplied advanced weaponry by shadowy figures, which come on, that's Klingons. Um, other than that, it was entirely focused on the Enterprise crew and basically getting them into the universe where, you know, the Planet of the Apes is. Now, that was very intriguing and it was very well done explaining um, that these are two different universes and here's why they're crossing over. Or here's how they're going to cross over. So it was really interesting and everything, but it's so decompressed that by the time you get to the end of the first issue, you haven't even started the the crossover proper yet. And that was a little bit frustrating because, you know, I was kind of hoping you know, we would just jump right into this thing. How many thing. issues is it? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they've announced it, but traditionally IDW, and they're the ones that like are publishing four, this, right? uh, they do... Um, Oh wait, no. You know, I, I take that back. IDW is not the one that's been doing apes. It was uh, it was Boom that's been doing apes. So yeah, they maybe they're not going to work on the same model. But yeah, traditionally with Planet of the Apes minis uh, of, of late, it was four issues. But yeah, I'm not sure how many of this is going to be. So if it, if they do six, then it might end up being a meteor read, and we'll get a lot more stuff done in it. Um, my big thing is I hope my own preconceptions don't get in the way because. You know, it's so funny that this is actually reality now because you and I were talking about this a few months back and the just Heston, you know just the shooting Heston the shit Shatner about it. Yeah, action. yeah, and and we had the idea of how cool would it be if Planet of the Apes happened, but but basically Kirk took the place of of Heston in that story. That's not what's going to happen because if the if the cover and the alternate cover art is any indication. It's going to be a true team up. It's going to be Star Trek and Klingons versus apes and Heston type. You know, I mean, everybody's going to come to the table. You know, it's, it's going to be it's going to feel a lot like a classic like DC Marvel team up You right. know, where you got your two heroes and then you've got, you know, the prerequisite number one bad guys of each of those heroes team up to battle the good guys. And it's kind of it seems like that's what this is going to be. It's going to be Kirk and Heston. Uh, alongside each other battling apes and Klingons. So, yeah, that could be fun, but I still like our idea better. So, you know, you know I, like I say, I hope that preconception doesn't doesn't get in the way, but... Uh, All right, I'm already betting halfway through issue two, Kirk's shirt comes off. Oh, probably. Probably. Um, but, I mean, one thing that really gives me a lot of faith in it is that it's written by the Tiptons, and so far, much like Burn... I can't think of anything I've read of theirs that I haven't, you know, Trek related that I haven't just loved. So that gives me a lot of faith that, uh, you know, that I'll end up really enjoying it because they've written some phenomenal stuff too. We still need to get them on sometime. I, I, I talked to Scott Tipton, God, this was ages ago, uh, about coming on the show and he was totally down for it. And then we just never did get around to it. Oh, so maybe this would be a good time that, to yeah. do it. Yeah, this would be a good time to, to get him in if we could. Because he, he seemed uh, receptive to the idea. And, I mean, if he's doing this project because he's an, a fan of both Star Trek and Apes, then come on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he's in, like, Flynn with us. Yeah, right. So that could be a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where it goes. And uh, I would say it's definitely, you know, so far anyway, it was definitely worth the cover price because uh, they're doing a number of alternate covers per issue. 
And so, I mean, you kind of got your your choice of some really nice art on the covers. And the one that I chose for issue one is the one that has the the Statue of Liberty in the background from the end of Planet of the Apes. And then Kirk is beaming in. And it's a very classic, you know, Shatner image of Star Trek of Kirk beaming into the scene. And it's just it's just iconic. It looks so nice. And that, that was the one that I chose. They had several different ones at the comic shop, but that was the one that kind of jumped out to me and it really spoke to me. So But yeah, I'm intrigued. I've been looking forward to this for a while because Paul got me the Ashcan edition at um New York Comic Con this year and sent it to me. So I've been kind of jazzed for it Ooh. for a while now. But that's all I got. All right. Are you ready to uh Doodly doodly do this. Ah, I didn't know if you had more than uh, than the John Byrne. Uh, nope, that's thing. it. Sorry, but that's a pretty good haul. <laughs> no, that's awesome, especially dude. for yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. And uh, no, I mean, I, I'm really. Lo- I mean, if we're really down for this, I'm really looking forward to us digging into some of that yeah. stuff. Oh, and, definitely. And the comic segments. Yeah, I think no that reason be a not lot of fun. to. Yeah, not at all. Well, I just I don't want the the listeners to to feel whatever because we're we're kind of skipping around all of a sudden and not kind of completing where we were in the in the DC stuff but I'm just of the of the mind of when you get to a point where it's becoming a needless slog then you know do you do you persevere or do you go you know this just ain't working let's try something different and I'm I'm of the mind let's do something different cuz you know, at this point, the only thing we could really do with the stuff where we were at would just be make fun of it and rip it to shreds. And that's that gets old after a while, you know, and I don't want to at the same rate, I don't want to risk insulting anybody because I really like Mike Carlin. But that stuff's just not good. I'm just not digging it, you know, so I'd rather do something we actually like rather than just, you know, all those pitfalls of the stuff that we're just not liking so much, you know. But anyway, you're not going to hear yes. any argument from me. <laughs> I am, to answer your question, totally down for this. Um, I'm not going to make any bones about it. This is one of my all-time favorite Star Trek episodes, so I'm really looking forward to digging into this one. Captain's Log, Stardate 1533.7. We have taken aboard an unusual passenger, the sole survivor of a transport crash 14 years ago. Are you a girl? Oh, Charlie's our new darling, our darling, our darling. Charlie's our new darling. We know not what you'll do. She could love me. She's not the girl, Charlie. But if I did what you said, if I was gentle. Charlie, there are a million things in this universe you can have, and there are a million things you can't have. That's the way things are. Look, I'm off duty at 1400. Why don't you join me in Recreation Room 6, Deck 3? You got a deal, friend. You're responsible for what happened to the Antares? Why? Answer me. Well, they weren't nice to me. What about us, Charlie? So what we're talking about this time, folks, is Charlie X. And I just need to find it in the damn book here because I'm not... I don't. I didn't have it bookmarked. And now I'm not finding the damn thing. What episode number make is you Charlie? Go away. <laughs> it's in the first season. I know that. Yeah, I think it's like season. the fifth episode or something like that. It's it's. Well, it, it oh. aired. 
like right it's number after, two it says yeah see it aired as the as the second episode right after um the man trap so you know because of course the episodes aired completely here it is completely out of order Yep. Okay, good. So the book has them actually in air date. All right, this is cool. I didn't realize that before. All right, so here we go. Charlie X. And this is the synopsis out of the Nitpicker's Guide for Classic Trekkers by Phil Ferrand. The Enterprise has a rendezvous with the cargo vessel Antares to pick up a young man named Charlie Evans. The Enterprise will transport him to Earth Colony Alpha 5, where he has relatives. Fourteen years ago, the crash of a transport ship left Charlie stranded on the planet Thasia. Somehow, he managed to survive. McCoy certifies Charlie as a normal 17-year-old, but his activities soon hint at extraordinary powers. In Recreation Room 3, he performs card tricks, magically transforming three of them into pictures of Yeoman Rand. When Rand realizes that Charlie has a deep crush on her, she asks Kirk to speak with him. In the process, Kirk decides to teach Charlie how to fight as a way of spending time together. However, when a crewman in the gym laughs, Charlie makes the man fade into nothing. (laughs) That's one of my favorite scenes in this whole episode. Kirk knows he cannot take Charlie to Colony Alpha 5. The undisciplined young man with his abilities would wreak havoc on the planet. Unfortunately, Charlie commandeers the ship and forces it to fly according to his will. Just in time, a Thasian ship arrives. Their spokesman explains that they gave Charlie the power to transmutate matter so that he could survive on their planet. Once they realized he had departed, they quickly came to retrieve him, knowing the damage he would cause by his immaturity. Wow, you know, again, with the with the synopsis that's good, but leaves a lot Just sort of, of shit well, out. Yeah. Well, that's good because that's the rest of our job is to fill that all in, I guess. Well, it's it's true, but the two big things here that it, it leaves out that I feel are very Hugely important, important. Size, yeah, is for one, he destroys the Antares, which that's kind of to me that's one of the sticking points of this episode, and something that is not easily glossed over is that you know at the end of the day, even at the end where he's kind of begging Kirk for help and everything. You know, you, you can't overlook that. I mean, even if Kirk was able to talk the Thasians into letting him stay on the ship and everything, uh, he would have to face... I think he really would want to. <laughs> What's that? I don't think he really would want to, yeah. I don't think... I wouldn't Kirk, want to. You mean? Kirk, you mean? Talk... I, yeah, I don't think Kirk would want to have keep him on the ship. He's too dangerous to the crew and the ship. Right, but no, I mean, isn't that kind of what he was doing? I mean, he was kind of trying to go for bat to bat for Charlie at the end, though, wasn't he? A little bit, but I think it was just sort of, um, I don't know, what it, maybe out of guilt or something. I don't know. This is the wishy-washiest Kirk I've seen ever. <laughs> I think at the at the end of the episode, I think he's torn. You know, I, I think. There's a part of him that feels for Charlie and really wants to help him, but at the same rate, I, you know, like you say, does he really want to keep this kid around? You know, does he want him on his ship? Does he does he believe that he's going to learn his lesson and not do this sort of thing again? Plus, I mean, I, again, I think of no small consideration is even if that Thasian says, you know what, you're right, go ahead and take him with you, and and hopefully he'll be a good boy from now on. You know, as soon as 
the idea is proposed to Charlie that, hey, you know, you're going to have to answer for the Antares. <laughs> you know, is he going to just start using well, his power again? Well, you know? this is another thing that I wonder is we see Janice Rand is is brought back. Right. So I guess I'm assuming that that lady got her face back and the guy from the well, exercise room got yeah. sent back and maybe the Antares got restored. No, no, the Thasian specifically says that that uh, everybody, everything was, was restored to the way it was with the exception of the Antares. He said we could not help them. So I think what it was was that whatever dimension it is that Charlie makes people go away to and all you know whatever changes he made as far as like turning that woman into a lizard right. and taking the faces away they could change they could fix all that but, but, the, he, but he the, blew up the ship but yeah. he actually blew them up it wasn't like he phased them off into his you know somewhere else dimension he actually I'm trying to remember what it was he did he, he like he made took like, away a vital piece of the ship that made it was it like blow a up. broken piece of plate and he just like right you know fiddled with it he was like because he was saying hey it was gonna break they would have blown up anyway eventually mm-hmm. i just mm-hmm. sped it up but yeah, yeah that's pretty cold-blooded murder but at the same time he's like a little child you know he's right a pubo child <laughs> i like Ooh, the spock baby. figure <laughs> i like that spock figures it out pretty pretty quick in this episode that there's no way that he could have just survived there on his own, yeah. you know, being being, you know, talking to the computers and whatever that he had to have some sort of outside assistance. It's funny, too, because he uh, he actually takes on the stance of being, um, you know, almost like the, the X-Files conspiracy theorist guy, because, you know, yeah. Bones is like, ah, it's a bunch of bullshit. And Spock's like, no, I'm telling you, dude, you know. He had to have, you know, these Thasians must exist because he couldn't survive there, and he's giving all these facts. Numbers but do I, not I like add that. up. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. You know, he's he's actually taking the, you know, there there must be ghosts, you know, type of stance in this one as opposed to, you know, the, I mean, he's being rational, but right. usually it would be the other way around in a situation like that. I actually thought that was kind of cool. Now this had to have come after. The Twilight Zone episode, It's a Good Life. <laughs> because, man, I, and, you know, I really noticed it. I, it's almost the same story in a lot of ways. You know, it's funny. I have the same exact note. And and I really didn't put it together until the very watching this again and watching the very first scene. And the guys from the Antares were just like, basically, it w- it reminded me more of Twilight Zone, the movie version of it. Right, yeah. They're like, "Hey, Kirk, <laughs> wait till right. you get a load of Charlie. He's great. We love Charlie." <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he, Charlie's a good kid. Nah, can't stick around. Not even for Saurian brandy. That should have been the tip off <laughs> right there. <laughs> at some at some point in the episode, Charlie should have made everybody celebrate his birthday. You could tell Kirk wanted them to hang out because he just wants to talk to Newt. You know, you could tell he wants to like. Hang out with some new people, you know? Come on. We got the ready ready rec room. Come, nothing. Brandy. I got my couple of yeomans, you know? What are, what are we talking here? Please, I'm so lonely. <laughs> well, evidently, the Antares must be a sucky place to have to live and operate because they don't have women on that ship. So if Charlie, if, you know, because Charlie is taken with Janice right away because she's a girl. 
and he hasn't seen a girl before, which means they don't have women on the Antares. And she makes him feel hungry all (laughs) over. I don't want to be serving on the Antares. No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, especially with those schlubs in there, too. It's just (laughs) these sweaty middle-aged guys and a pubescent kid that just, that yeah, that can't go anywhere good. (laughs) <laughs> There's lots of signs in this episode that things aren't going to go good. Um, you always know in Star Trek, musical interludes just are a bad idea. They just oh, don't yeah. go well. And in this one, it goes horribly bad. <laughs> it doesn't really like lead it. to anything awful happening. It's just bad. Bad, bad, bad. But I you get to see like Spock a picking and a grinning. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, too, is this is still proto-Spock because he shows frustration and smiles. And one thing I had never noticed before in this is in the close-up scenes where he's picking at his leer and everything, uh, they have kind of that, that Luke Skywalker from Return of the Jedi thing going where half of the screen behind him is red and the other half is green. And it, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but if you if you see that and actively notice it, it it's kind of drawing that duality of Spock. You well, know, the, green the is his Vul- Vulcan blood and red is his human blood. There you go. Exactly. I thought that was kind of cool. I'd never noticed that before. I thought that was pretty neat. I watched Spock did a nice little dodge on McCoy, too, when they were discussing, you know, the the planet and the, the legends about the planet and... Spock then, I can't remember what the question McCoy posed was, but Spock goes, that is an intriguing question, or that is an intriguing question. Right. And he never answers it. (laughs) (laughs) He just sloths it off. I'm like, oh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty slick, Mr. Spock. (laughs) One of the things that has always worked for me in this episode that I, I think is a very powerful element in this episode is the music it's got one of the best yeah. scores of, of any episode and it works it, it creates a, a very spooky again twilight zone type mood to it and the music at the end because it's a very sad well it's a scott gardner ending that's for sure yeah yeah it really is and i, and I love the music at the end you know the whole it's just great I love that. I love episodes of, of classic Trek that end that way musically. But yeah, it's uh, the music throughout the entire episode is really, really solid. And you know that the music tell, helps tell the story because when he uses his power, they usually use the music to denote that he's using his power. It's it's almost like like you know I dream a genie or bewitched yep, or something. Yep. You know, using the music for the little nose twitch or whatever. I, I like that. That would be fun if he went dinky dinky dink. <laughs> His face fall off. And instead he rolls his eyes up into his head. Yeah. <laughs> I caught a funny little moment when, um, at the very beginning, when he first comes to the ship and he's kind of tailing everybody around and he's watching the dude, like, you know, putting in the sewer pipe and he's watching the guys up in the Jeffrey tube. When he comes out of the Jeffrey's tube and he stands there awkwardly for a minute and then the guy says something to him and he wanders off, he leaves his jacket sitting there. Because it's actually lay, his jacket's like laying on a pile of boxes or something right there outside the Jeffries tube. When he wanders away, he just leaves his jacket there. And I don't think he's, we see his jacket again the rest of the episode. 
but I definitely noticed it was laying there when he walked off. I just thought that was funny. Poor Charlie. Oh my <laughs> god. I I used to not really like this. I, I I mean I like it and and man oh man Ashevitz we used to have fun with this episode. Randy, <laughs> damn it, uh, all the hell that he's not here would just. Oh my god, he would. <laughs> Don't laugh at me! <laughs> yeah, and of course he would tell a joke and people would laugh and then he'd grab you, grip you in that like m- crazed McCoy from City on the Edge of Forever and don't laugh at me or I'll make you disappear too or I'll make you go away too. That was the one he used to do all the time. I'll make you go away too. <laughs> he used to say it all the time. But, you know, he used to say it to us, but he'd just say it to random people. Who didn't know what the hell he was talking about? You know what? I'm looking here, and we have a new number that we could try. Do you want to try to get the freak one more time? We might as well, right? All right, here we go. <laughs> Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message. Oh! Randy Gardner. <laughs> At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Come on, freak. I'll make you go away, too. <laughs> <sighs> oh, man. We wanted you on this episode tonight. How many what phone numbers do you have? <laughs> How would you hang up? Overall quality of this call. Excellent. Excellent, Skype. It was it's only it's only excellent if they answer the phone. <laughs> God damn it. Oh man. What time is it? Ten thirty. <sighs> He's in Son Slumberland a, by now. Son of a bitch. Little Randy in Slumberland. What damn it. <sighs> we'll get him. But yeah. We get a little closer every time. <laughs> Oh, this would have been a great one to get in for, though, because I know he loves this episode. He used to like to quote it, like, all the time. Uh, let's see. What else? I got all kinds of notes on it. You said you had a bunch of notes on this one, too, right? Yeah, I've, I've sort of picked through a bunch of them. But, um, yeah, I, I remember you mentioned earlier that this is, like, definitely an early one where they're feeling stuff out. Right. Definitely feeling out the food synthesizers. Because they were talking about synthetic meatloaf and he's just like oh just make some turkey you know form the meatloaf in the shape of a turkey and they even mention ovens mm-hmm. later in the show when the galley chef calls up and says hey captain it, it, they're real turkeys yeah. in the oven that voice is uh gene roddenberry oh really yeah i, I thought, thought you were gonna funny. say james doing <laughs> No, it's you know what's funny is uh, Scotty is not in this one, and Sulu is not in this one. But you actually hear Sulu. Um, he says something over the the intercom, but uh, you never actually see him or Scotty because Scotty jumped out to me right away because at the beginning of the episode, um, Kirk has the transporter chief beam the you know Charlie and uh, and the two guys over from the Antares. And right away, I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Where's Scotty? And then that, that's what got me actively thinking, like, you know, to, to watch for Scotty, but he never does show up. He's not in this one at all. And it's kind of weird that they, you know, there's no mention or anything. They don't really explain why he's not around. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of 
kind of weird because like Sulu, you can forgive because at the, this was at a point where, you know, we would we would quite often see other people, you know, at the helm. Right, right. Not not just Sulu, but Scotty was pretty much, you know, he was your standard, you know, engine. You know, I mean, he was the chief engineer for one, but I mean, he was pretty much the standard guy whenever something involving the engines or the transporter room or whatever were, were involved in. Uh, yeah, there's no explanation at all for why he's not around in this one. Yuspa um, is mentioned by Kirk in one point, and uh, I don't remember that being used in a lot of episodes, but it would pop up, you know, here and there. And, and I know uh, eventually when, uh, when they came around to do Enterprise, it was mentioned on there quite a bit, too. It was supposed to be the... See if I can remember what it stood for. It was like United Earth Space Probe Agency or something, which is essentially it was kind of the. I always got the feeling it was supposed to be like the forerunner of Starfleet or something like that, or maybe like the the link between like NASA and Starfleet or something. But yeah, he does drop huh. that reference in this one. Now, did you watch this as the enhanced version? I did not. I actually watched this as old school for some reason. I got an old school edition, although I did go to YouTube and look at the difference and mostly pretty much the difference in the special effects were the shots of the Enterprise. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And so there wasn't really, you know, they didn't enhance Janice Rand or anything like that. No. Some nice, nice beauty passes uh, of the Enterprise, though, with the uh, with the enhanced effects. Yes. If there were other enhancements, I, I did not catch them. They no, must there have been weren't. super it subtle was, if there were. It was all the ship. Yeah. I was afraid that they might try, you know, do something different with uh with the Thasians or with their cause see that they the, say actually it's a the Thasian ship. ship or energy thing is different. It's a little more structural looking, but it just looks like a sort of lattice of blue energy. Right. See, I, that was the thing that kind of struck me as different this time watching it was the thought that that the Thasians actually do have a ship. Because as a kid, that was one of the reasons that this episode used to scare the shit out of me is because the green, you know, weirdly wobbly head that pops up that takes Charlie away at the end, I always took him as kind of like a ghost. Because he's green, he's, he's like you know, phosphorescent, he glows and he's all wavy in and out. So I always took it like the Thasians had, had evolved like to the next level to where they were no longer corporeal beings or something. Right. You know, right. You know essentially ghosts. And, you know, cause Charlie says, you can't even touch them and all. So I'm thinking if they're ghosts and they're, you know, they're, they're higher beings on this other planet, what the hell did they need a starship for? And so that kind of threw me watching this again and, and again with the enhancements and all seeing that no 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 they do actually have a ship and they're they're flying in a ship that was kind of weird. It's kind of a ship but it's still kind of like it's almost like a conception of a ship so it might not actually be like what we would think of as a starship but they're like oh we have to go to the starship enterprise so they just sort of like blob some energy around them and right. fly out well, there. It almost looked like uh it looked like that episode of Scooby Doo with the ghost ship, you know, because yeah. remember there was that one that ghost ship that glowed yes. green, and it was like the was it the Flying Dutchman or something? Yeah, like something that. like that. Yeah, that's kind of what it reminded me. It's like a space Flying Dutchman or something. It was really weird, but uh, but still cool. I mean that 
it a lot of it with this one is is you know the ending just it always gets me in this one that ending is just like the classic trek and i mean but it's it's very twilight zone at the same rate so you're kind of getting a twofer you know you're kind of getting the best of both worlds on that one this is a this is a dc fontana episode Mm -hmm. and it does have that feminine touch it it strongly features janice rand right and more than just as the captain's yeoman sort of like I've got a crush on the captain she's the only one that's sort of like look you know I can't encourage this crush everybody else thinks Charlie's crush on her is cute and she's like look you know I can't hook up with this this dude and I'm just you know you guys are just setting him up for a fall and the kid is so this episode is so good it's so well acted and so well written but it's an exercise in awkwardness. It's just oh, yeah. everywhere. He's just an open sore, you know? <laughs> and and it's it's played off so well that it's kind of squirmy to watch it, you know? And I, I always forgot about the, the one scene where he, he does his card tricks and uh, and starts winning everybody over. And it's the total Charlie Brown football. He puts him over, but it just gets yanked out from under him and back into just like, nobody understands me. (laughs) In in the one scene where Kirk was just like, oh, you're frustrated about women? I thought he was going to show him space porn or something. (laughs) Charlie, the answer's at the end of your arm. (laughs) But, uh... Charlie, with his abilities, he could just make, you would think he could sort of, if he could make cards, you know, change cards and stuff, maybe he could, like, eventually make himself a nice lady. (laughs) That's kind of probably will look just like Janice Rand. (laughs) That's not creepy weird at all. Maybe John Byrne will get on that in one of his future uh, fumettis. Well, what's funny is uh, I, I did some digging around on this subject because um, I figure, you know, with all the many comics and the and the novels and everything else that have been out there now for all these years of Star Trek, that, that at some point maybe somebody had done some Charlie X story, whether it was a, a sequel or a prequel or something. Right. And sure enough, somebody did. Sure. Um, in issue number eight of there was a when when Marvel reacquired the Star Trek franchise for a while back in the 90s, they had several different titles and one of them was called uh, Star Trek Starfleet Academy. And it was a, essentially I don't now I've never I remember read it. it. I remember seeing it out. Yeah, I've got scattered issues of it. Um, not this particular issue, unfortunately, but I have scattered issues in. I don't think off the top of my head that any of the characters that are in that book were established characters. I think they're all original, I think. But anyway, it was essentially, it was like a, a Starfleet Academy class of, it was almost like kind of like the New Mutants, but Star Trek. You right, know what I mean? Right. Anyway, um, Charlie came back in uh, issue number eight of that title of Starfleet Academy um, I looked it up and just kind of skimmed through it just to kind of get a feel for it. I did not give it a proper read. 
but just based on what I saw, it didn't look like anything that uh, that would particularly appeal to me. It in a lot of ways, it looked very '90s in right. like the the not good '90s way of right. you know '90s comics. So. Yeah, I kind of breezed over it, but you know, if anybody listening has actually read it and got you know positive things to say about it, I'd I'd like to hear about it. But yeah, just on a first impression basis, it kind of looked like, nah, I don't think so. I just thought that was interesting. That no, yeah, they they did bring him back at one point. Now I don't know about you, but I spent a sizable portion of my life in the mistaken impression that playing Charlie X was Patrick Duffy. It's not him. It's funny. I was riding to work with Scott McGregor, and I'm like, ah, I just uh, watched the Star Trek Charlie X, and he's like, that's the one with Patrick Duffy in it, isn't it? And I'm like, no, but he does sort of look like a skinny, blonde Patrick Duffy. Yeah, he does. I've often wondered uh, how many times Patrick Duffy might have been asked to autograph like a picture of Charlie X or something because people think it's he him. He probably wished he could roll back his eyes and make people go away. <laughs> <laughs> I if I saw Patrick Duffy, I'd want him to get down on the ground and wiggle around in his Man from Atlantis swim. Remember that? <laughs> yes. That stupid like dolphin <laughs> swim that he used to do in Man from Atlantis. That like I was like, I'm gonna try that next time I w- go swimming, and I'm like, oh, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> Damn, I used to love that show though. That's another one of those things that you know, was living a much better life in my memory than. That's uh, that's one of the first comics I, I like. I got from Walt Hadley was Man from Atlantis. Man from Atlantis. Yeah, I still have an issue or two of that somewhere. Yeah. yeah. God. Yeah, I remember when uh, when video uh, renting and, and sales and stuff was just in its infancy. Um, I actually got a copy of the pilot to man from Atlantis. And I was so happy until to you get saw that it and, and watch. And then I watched it. it. It's not horrible, but it's not what I was thinking. It was uh, cause I mean, I remember watching that as a kid every week and just loving it. Like, Oh man, this yeah. is awesome. And then I watched it again. I'm like, this is right up there with like the Reb Brown Captain America movie where he's driving a motorcycle. You know, it, it's, it was, yeah, it was all right, but no, nah, not, <laughs> not anything great. We were kind of starved for quality for anything genre that was, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were kids, yeah, big time. <laughs> I don't know how we got to talking about the man from Atlantis, Patrick Duffy. Patrick Charlie Duffy, is Patrick yeah. Duffy. I'm trying to think what else on this one, but that that pretty much covers all of my notes. I mean, but I I really do like this one. I I think it. It has, you know, it's well written. It has a really good story. I think it's incredibly well acted. Yes. Uh, I think Charlie's very good in it. I think, uh, I think Grace Lee Whitney as as Rand is actually really good for a change. I think it's her best. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's one part where Charlie's talking to her, and you know he's sort of spilling his guts to her, and she's like sensuously like got her tongue like between her teeth. And I was just right. like, I want, and it was a, such an unconscious move. It was just really nice act. I don't think it was unconscious, but it looked like, you know, she was, it looked like she didn't mean to do that. You know, it looked right. like she was just sort of wrapped in, you know, trying to think of how she was going to handle the situation. And it was, it was just a really nice little piece of acting. 
And I think that had a lot to do with DC Fontana, like writing a good role for you know this. This isn't. This is not your usual Star Trek episode, at least of the the, the original series. This has a more next generation feel, where it's kind of touchy feely, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Kirk sort of is a Picard in this, where he doesn't really know what to do with a kid, you know. Right. I mean. I don't know. It would have been really easy for me to explain why you don't pat a woman woman on the on the ass, you know, <laughs> to to a teenager. It would be amusing, you know, to say, well, look, you know, there's a time and a place for that, but for the most part, you know, when two guys do it, it's just sort of like a playful sport. Uh, yeah, but you know, his 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 solution is take your shirt off and come down and uh, I'll show you some wrestling some <laughs> and of course he shows him the patented shoulder roll shoulder roll such yes. a huge source of amusement for us now did you notice when the, <laughs> when they open that scene and they have the two enterprise women doing their somersaults mm-hmm. towards the camera the first woman that go the first somersault girl is grinning like an idiot. She looks like she's doing like you know um something for a TV special or something where they have you <laughs> grin like a beauty contest pageant. Right. It's just it was bizarre. I had to actually back it up and go, "Did I just see that?" And yeah, she just had this huge grin on her, pasted on grin. It was so bizarre. <laughs> Poor Janice, stalked by everyone. I'm trying to remember, would this one... Now, obviously, this one aired before um, the, enemy the Enemy Within, but did it in the production, would it be I, before oh. or after the Enemy That's... You know what? I'm going to see if I can look that up real quick. Because if it's after Enemy Within, then you would kind of, you'd almost wonder why, why is she coming to Kirk with all of this? Because she just would have had, you know, their, their little go around where he was chasing her around the table and everything too. So I, you know, I used to know these things, but it's been so long. I just can't remember. Let's see here. Because in the actual production, I want to say Enemy Within is like number five, I think. Let's see. Looking here. Enemy Within is number five, and this is number two. In. But that's in Eric. Eric, yes. Yeah. So let's see. All right. So we've got first season production. I'm looking at the, uh, the Star Trek compendium here. We got, all right, Corbinite, Manu- Corbinite Maneuvers number three. This is going with the cage being number one and where no man has gone before for being number two. So you've got the Corbinite Maneuver, Mud's Women, Enemy Within is number five, Man Trap, Naked Time. See, these were all out of... So Charlie X is actually eight. Okay. So Charlie X is after the Enemy Within. Now that's as far as in the actual chronology of the episodes, but in the airing, I want to say Enemy Within was one of the last episodes to air for the first season, I think. I think it was number five. To air? Yeah. Um, I think this was number two, this was number five. 
let me see. All right, so the nitpicker's guide actually puts them in airing order. So let's take a look at that. So we've got, no, these are, okay, hang on. We've got Man Trap. Yeah, that was the very first episode. Then you've got Charlie X is number two, where No Man Has Gone Before is number three. Man, that would that would really mess you up watching That's them. That's weird. That yeah. Naked Time. And the enemy within, right? And the enemy. Yeah, you're right. So e either way you slice it, enemy within is number five. Huh. That's pretty weird. Yeah, and then Mud's Women, which is actually before Enemy Within in the actual production. So yeah, they were all over the friggin' place with airing these things. Then what are little girls made of? Yeah, they're all out of order. That's pretty. Cr that's pretty crazy. Hmm. I believe it. They were made to air in order is really too much. What's that? For the most part, they weren't really made to air in any order anyway. So well, you know, I don't know. With the first season, I would argue that though because you have little little subtle changes and character yeah. developments and things like that that they happen. they weren't aware that of that, watch... That was just happening organically, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, at the same rate, to watch, say, Man Trap and then Charlie X and then Where No Man Has Gone Before? Yeah, the second pilot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because, come on, Where No Man Has Gone Before, you've got super proto-Spock in that one. The uniforms are completely different. No Dr. McCoy. Um... What, I mean, there's a lot of different changes. Yeah. I, let me see. We're no man has it's gone just before. Got that, it's just got, got that whole different feel on it. It's got like yeah. the feel somewhere between, you know, the menagerie and that, you know. So right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's some screwy order to be putting the episodes out in. But yeah, that was television back then. Well, I think we've hit that time. Should I? Uh, yeah, I've been warming it up actually for the last 15 minutes. This thing. <laughs> Just a piece of shit. P.O.S. Alright. Spitting out a number. Number 57. Number 57 is... Hmm. Have we done this one? The Enterprise Incidents. Which I don't think so. That's the one, if I'm not mistaken, that's the one where... Uh, Kirk disguises himself as a Romulan and goes over to the Romulan ship to do something, steal the cloaking device or something. Have we not done that one? With the Vulcan death grip and all that? See, that's the I problem. Don't I don't think so. I think my list might need some serious updating here, but we'll, we'll go ahead and go with that one because it is not crossed off the list. So yeah, the I'm pretty sure we have not done that one yet. Okay. At some point, I'm going to have to... Somebody made us a list ages ago that was on our old forum, and I'm not even sure where the hell I would find it, but I've been meaning to go back and check out that list and update my list to make sure that it is completely up-to-date and we do not end up repeating episodes, but I've just been I don't a lazy think we'll get to that shit. Point. If we get to the point where we realize... I, I think if we start watching it, we'll realize... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't know this one. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. 
Yeah, that one, you know, I'm both dreading and looking forward to that one simultaneously, I will say, because that was never one of my favorite. Now, again, you know, I'm you know what, this though? Again. that was a Randy favorite, though. You know what, though? That might be a good one to tie in to start doing the oh, John yeah. Byrne. John Byrne stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. There are, I, I am almost sure there's characters from this one in some of the John Byrne Romulan stories. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, plus the the Romulan commander, the female commander in yes. that one is is one of those characters that a lot of people will point to to why the uh, the Star Trek novels were always such a mess because they didn't stick to a strict continuity, you know, from novel to novel. So that Romulan commander ended up meeting like umpteen different deaths in different novels and stuff. So. Hmm. That's funny. I was just gonna say she just met. She met everybody in the Federation. Died fifteen times. Right. So it would always depend Married on Spock. like what series of novels you were reading from which right. author, whether she was alive or dead or how she had died or yeah, it was weird. She she was the the one character I always remembered that you know had multiple biographies depending on who she was being written by and that sort of thing right but, but yeah I, as you know as a kid and and growing up that was never one of my favorites but uh again if we can if we can get him if we can get him to answer the damn phone i wouldn't mind getting randy for that because if i'm not mistaken that was one of his favorites was uh the enterprise incident he always, for some reason he always liked that one a lot and i, I think it a lot of it had to do with uh with kirk dressing up as a romulan you know, toward pro- the end of it. We should probably, like, just start nailing, getting him nailed down for it, like, tomorrow. <laughs> I'll pitch it to him, see what he has to say. Yeah. Now, do you think Charlie X is hanging out somewhere with Trelane and Q? You know, I, that's, you know, I always wondered, like, how, how, you know, what happened beyond this point kind of thing. They just take him back to that planet? And then he's just there all by himself for the rest of his life because it it almost seems borderline cruel, you know. Yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? Well, plus I was thinking, you know, if the Thasians could give him the power, couldn't they take it away from him? That would be cruel too, though. Well, I mean, not to like take him back to the planet and abandon him and take it away, but I mean, take him know, away and leave him on the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah, you know, take you know while while they were there, and, and, and uh, to the that's to my good, recollection, nobody point. even. Nobody even pitches that idea. You would think that Kirk would say, no, wait a minute. You know, because the, the, the green guy, the floaty head says, because uh, Kirk says something about, you know, we could maybe train him not to use his power. And the, and the floaty guy says, well, we gave him the power so he could survive. He will use it. So I'm thinking, well, then why didn't Kirk switch tactics and go, well, wait a minute. You gave him the power. Can you maybe take the power away now? But nobody ever pitches that idea which just seems strange to me. It's, it's, you know, it's a total, no, 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 we have to take him away now because he can't be with his yeah. own people. And that just seems kind of strange. It's strange that they put this episode so close to it's. I, I just, it just struck me how similar this was to the Gary Mitchell situation too, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Just sort of Gary Mitchell yeah, as, a, true. as a, as a, as a younger person. A godlike entity. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah, a godlike entity without the knowledge that Gary Mitchell was gaining. 
Well, that was the, uh, I guess that was the working title or one of the working titles of this episode before they settled on Charlie X was uh, The Day Charlie Became God, which I think is a really good title for it. Yeah. But again, I, I think you're moving that much closer into Twilight Zone territory with yes. a title like that. Yeah, that totally sounds like a Rod Serling style title. Yeah. Title. But I mean, I don't that, know why this... I got a Southern accent <laughs> to say title. <laughs> But, the, you know, I, that's one of the things that really works for me with this one is that it, it does have a, a, a very strong Twilight Zone uh, vibe to it. It's, you know, it, it's one of the few instances in Star Trek, but in this particular episode, I, I think that really works to its strength. Yes. Well, Star Trek does work as a, as a platform for a Twilight Zone type of story. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And this was definitely in the experimental stages, so what better thing to experiment, you know, with is something that's already... I mean, the story is lifted right out of Twilight Zone, pretty much. Right. So, lucky PC Fontana didn't get sued. (laughs) I do dig this one. Yes. Well, we can take it out there if you want to. I think when we take it out, we take it out on a creepy note. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people 
will be able to have an experience similar to this.